This is the daily podcast from St Paul's Knightsbridge, an invitation to pause for not more than 10 minutes each day to think, to reflect and to pray. I'm Alan Guyland. This week, as we approach the start of Lent on Wednesday, let's think a little about Carnival. Around the world, in caves occupied by Neolithic man, experts have found wall paintings, prehistoric art, often depicting animals, the bulls of Lascaux, the horses of Peshmerl in France, and often hunting scenes, but also images of people dancing, line dancing, round dancing, capturing in murals painted deep in the cave's darkness by candlelight a tantalising glimpse of the social life of our Paleolithic and Neolithic ancestors. It seems that long before our ancestors had a written language, possibly even much of a spoken language, and certainly long before they settled in primitive farming communities, our ancient hunter-gatherer ancestors who roved and hunted and foraged to survive spent time painting their bodies lighting fires and dancing. In her fascinating book, Dancing in the Streets, A History of Collective Joy, Barbara Ehrenreich begins her study of social playfulness and the ritualization of fun with the simple observation that such dancing is, seen from one place, a terrible waste of energy. Why, anthropologists have asked, Did primitive mankind dissipate energy amidst the struggle merely to survive in a hostile world by dancing? Because, she says, to play, to dance, to socialise is to be human. Ronald Hutton, in The Rise and Fall of Merry England, describes the same predisposition to dancing in the late medieval and pre-modern world on these shores, and in his book he surveys the place of fairs, festivals, feasts and fasts, dancing, singing and music-making of all kinds in communities across this nation and across the cycle of the ritual year. In the midst of all of this, the pre-Lent period of carnival had pride of place. Carnival, from the Latin carne, meat, vale, farewell, or others say levare, to raise up from use. Carnival was the time when, before the self-imposed austerities of the Lenten period gripped church and society, people went, well, a bit mad. The dancing was to stop, for a season at least, Drinking was to be reduced, and church-going for many greatly increased. And so, before all of this annual period of austerity, predicated on the healthy simplifying of life in preparation for Easter, it was time to party. Such partying for carnival persists in pockets around the world. The instinct to dance is always somewhere lurking just beneath the surface. Think Rio in Brazil, think Venice or Tenerife or Mardi Gras in New Orleans, 
where for up to a week before Lent each year, collective madness and dancing breaks out. Streets are closed, lavish food is prepared, and drink is downed with enthusiasm. Amazing costumes of a technical sophistication that our Neolithic ancestors couldn't even have dreamt of are donned, but it is the same timeless instinct at work. And the pre-Lent period of Carnival has had pride of place in this annual cycle of festivity since the very earliest days of the Church. But Ronald Hutton also charts the decline of Merry England, it's the central thesis of his book, as social play altered over time in response to political, religious and social changes, the English Reformation, the early Stuart Reformation of Manners, urbanisation and even civil war. And Barbara Ehrenreich in her book charts the same decline of public fun and suppression of dancing on a wider stage in Western Europe. The tension between popular carousing, between partying and Protestantism, saw the church, and at length civil society, abandon much of the fun that was an intrinsic part of the annual ritual year. Ehrenreich paints this picture in grim terms and suggests, in a way that is compelling, if not ultimately totally convincing, her approach is much more subjective and populist than Professor Hutton's, Ehrenreich suggests that from this suppression of dancing and partying flowed, quotes, an epidemic of melancholy. Beginning in England in the late 17th century, she writes, the European world was stricken by what looks like, in today's terms, an epidemic of depression. She cites 17th, 18th and 19th century sources that support her view that melancholy, nervous diseases, panic, depression and so on, grew exponentially in this period. Such phenomena could, of course, be influenced by many factors, but could, Ehrenreich asks, could this apparent decline in the ability to experience pleasure be in any way connected with the decline in opportunities for pleasure, such as carnival and traditional festivities? Well, discuss. It's probably too glib a simplification of the whole thing, but I can't help noticing the correlation between our current experiences of isolation during the pandemic and the removal of opportunities for social interaction and public fun, still less parting and dancing, and an observable increase in mental distress and breakdown. I suppose we might, therefore, indulge ourselves in a small experiment. What if today and tomorrow, before Ash Wednesday's austerities, what if we were to give ourselves over to that instinct, presumably still buried somewhere deep in us, to dance and to play and to feast and just to have some fun? This would not, of course, be a piece of empirical research into the matter, but nonetheless it might be fun to have some fun before Ash Wednesday hastens in a season of reflection, if not this year, of reckless self-denial. What could you do today and tomorrow for others, 
safely with others, and even on your own, just to play a bit. Who knows, you might even put on some music and dance. And join me tomorrow, Tuesday, for some further reflection on Carnival before we come together at 6 o'clock for our Shrove Tuesday online party. <laughs>